Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids, a show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. future paleontologists how is everybody doing today i hope you're doing well it's the start of a new month it is march 2021 a new month new exciting things happening it's just gonna be a great great month i've got a good feeling about it and i know it's gonna be a great month for you too couple of shout outs. First, three-year-old Juliet wrote to me at the Dinosaur George Jr. Facebook page. Juliet wrote a very nice question. I thought it was a great question and I answered it on that page. But Juliet, even though I answered your question, I wanted to give you a shout out and say hello to you. Next, I want to say a special hello to my buddy Sean and his family who came out to see me when I was out at Trader's Village in San Antonio this past weekend. Uh, Sean stopped in picked up a utah raptor claw Ooh, that's a cool looking claw and it was so nice to see his mom and his sister and his grandparents it was nice to see everybody i always enjoy seeing you guys next shout out to cub scout pack number 233 in san antonio texas they had their annual blue and gold banquet and i was honored by being allowed to come on and do a virtual lesson for them I appreciate it very much. Great group, and I hope they enjoyed it as much as I did. And then I got to speak to my friends at Rural Virtual Academy in Medford, Wisconsin. This is the second time I've done a virtual lesson for them. It was nice seeing them all again. I enjoy that group so much. Uh, Really good school, really good group of people. Then I talked to the students at Kendall Elementary in Maple Falls, Washington. Shout out to all of you. Had a great time speaking to your group, and I hope you enjoyed it too. I spoke, uh, did two lessons for Menchaca Elementary in Austin, Texas. Their PTA was nice enough to hire me to do virtual lessons for all of their students. That was a big school. That was a big group. That was a lot of fun. And then Wood Creek Elementary in Katy, Texas. I did two shows for them, uh, which those were in the evening, which was kind of cool because those were family events. So if you'd like to hire me to do a virtual lesson, we can do them anytime, day or night. Uh, but that was a fun one at Wood Creek, and I've I've gone to their school before, and I enjoyed seeing them again. And then Powell Elementary here in San Antonio did two shows for them, had a great time, had a lot of fun laughing with their students, and that was fun. And then this past weekend, I was able to do a, uh, I did a, a show, a private lesson for young Mr. Asher, who lives in Natick, uh, Massachusetts. And his little cousin, Lila, I got a chance to do a private show for just those two. And that was a lot of fun as well. We talked about sauropods. So there's like 15 different subjects that you can hire me to do. I can speak about anything from dinosaurs to to mammals that lived after the dinosaurs, animals before, uh, pterosaurs, triceratops, 
or all the family of ceratopsians. I do a lesson on uh, uh, time periods on rocks and minerals. So if any of you would like to do a lesson, either a private lesson on your birthday or just for you and some friends or just from you, uh, I hope you'll consider doing it because I'd love to be able to do lessons for all of you. Hey, kids, you can have a private virtual lesson with Dinosaur George. Have him speak at your birthday party or have a lesson just for you. Lessons last 45 minutes and are available to all countries and time zones. Visit our store at DinosaurGeorge.com and order your own private lesson today. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at DinosaurGeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. It's a good one today. It's a good one today because we are going back to the Permian, which is the age right before the age of dinosaurs. We're going back to the Permian to talk about an animal that most people instantly recognize. It is Dimetrodon, or you can pronounce it uh, Dimetrodon. It depends on your pronunciations. Uh, I think I mostly say Dimetrodon, but every now and then I call it Dimetrodon. I want you young people to realize that when somebody pronounces a dinosaur or prehistoric animal's name, it may not be the way you pronounce it. It doesn't mean that you're wrong, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're right. There are different ways to pronounce animals' names. When we're pronouncing these prehistoric animals' names, we are usually not speaking English. We are usually speaking Latin or Greek, which is a, a, a very ancient language, a very old language. That's the language that most scientists spoke when paleontology really began. And so they named these animals in those names because that was what was most popular at the time. And we continue to do it today. So, for instance, there's a dinosaur called Diplodocus. Some pronounce it Diplodocus. Some pronounce it Diplodocus. There's a variety of ways to pronounce these names. So if I pronounce the name differently than you, it doesn't mean you need to change the way you pronounce it. Because I may not be pronouncing it the correct way or the way you like to pronounce it. But anyway, I'll call him Dimetrodon because I love this animal. Uh, Dimetrodon is it's instantly recognizable because it has a sail on its back. It's one of the sailed animals from the Permian. It's not a dinosaur. I almost said dinosaur. It's not a dinosaur. Now, Dimetrodons, the estimated size range from as small as 1.7 meters to as long as 4.6 meters. In feet, that means as small as 6 feet, all the way up to maybe 15 feet. I mean, that's that's a big animal. If those things got to be 15 feet, that's a very, very large animal. And uh, and you know what? By the way, those size ranges are, are what we're using to describe the most popular Dimetrodon. Because in a minute, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. So when I give you a size range, I'm talking about the sizes dedicate the sizes we give to the the most common the most the most common one that's found. Now the weight of the most common dimetrodons range from 28 all the way up to 250 kilograms. That's 60 
to up to 550 pounds. They never look very big in pictures and in books, but that's a big animal. Weighing 550 pounds and being, or 250 kilograms and being 15 feet long or 4.6 meters long, that's a big animal. Now, they're found in Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Germany, and Prince Edward Island in Canada. Now, how on earth could those animals be in all those places? Well, because they were alive during the Permian period, from between 295 to about 272 million years ago. During that time, most of the land masses were still connected. You could walk all over the world. And successful animals always want to expand their territory. What I mean by that is Dimetrodon is an example of an animal that wants to branch out to find new hunting grounds. Because if you are successful, that means there's a lot of you. And if there's a lot of your brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and relatives, you don't all want to live in the same house. You want to get out of there. And so uh, Dimetrodon is an example of a successful animal because it was able to spread. Now, when I told you Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah, that's all in North America. But then I threw in Germany. Well, shouldn't we find the animals in everything between, say, North America and Germany? Shouldn't we find their skeletons all the way in between there? How come they just popped up in Germany? They didn't just appear in Germany. It's just that the layers of rock that hold their bones are not always easy to get to all over the world. So if you were an animal that lived in, let's take the United States. Let's say you're an animal that is found in California and in New York. Those are on two opposite ends of the the country. And yet, if I don't find your bones anywhere between, that doesn't mean you didn't live between. It just means I haven't found your bones yet. But we know you did live in between because you couldn't appear in two places at the same time and look the same. So when I threw in Prince Edward Island in Canada and Germany, These animals probably, well, they did live everywhere in between and maybe in a lot of other places, but it's just that they haven't been found because the layers of dirt that hold their bones can either be so deep underground we never get to see them or the layers may have eroded away millions of years ago and that layer's gone. But Dimetrodon is a huge animal that lived in the Permian, the early in Permian. Now, these were quadrupeds. What that word means is an animal that walks on four legs. A biped is an animal that walks on two. So a human is a biped because we walk on two. And the word ped, that kind of means foot. Like, have you ever been on a bicycle and you pedal it? Ped, pedal it. We get that word pedal by saying we put our foot on it. So a, a, quadruped walks on four legs and a biped walks on two. What about animals that could walk on two legs or four legs? There's a bunch of them. What about duck-billed dinosaurs? They can walk on two legs, but they can also walk on four. So what does that mean they are? Well, that means they are quadruped and biped. 
so they could switch between the two. Sometimes they walk quadrupedally on four, and sometimes they stand up on their back legs and walk bipedally. So you could be one or the other or both. So dimetrodon is a quadruped. And what does the word dimetrodon mean? Well, in English, that means two measures of teeth. That's what, that's what dimetrodon means, two measures of teeth. Now, we're not talking about uh, sizes necessarily. What we mean by that is that there's two different kinds of teeth in its mouth. It sort of has two different kinds of teeth. In the front of the mouth, it has big, thick, flat, serrated, monster chomper teeth. But in the back of the jaw, it has small little teeth. So there are two different measures. And measure doesn't always mean size. It can mean kind. So two measures of teeth mean the front half of the mouth looks totally different from the back half because they have distinctively different teeth. I'll talk a little bit. Well, let's talk about those teeth. The front teeth are serrated. Serrated is the little bumpy things you see on a shark steak knife or like the tooth of a shark. Its teeth are serrated. The tooth of a Tyrannosaurus rex, its teeth are serrated. So this animal has serrated teeth. And something you'll notice immediately if you see a picture, and if, if you don't know the animal I'm talking about, if you don't know what Dimetrodon is, then just look it up online. Its name is spelled D I M E T R O D O N, Dimetrodon. Dimetrodon. So this animal, it's, it's, when you look at its skull, it's got that weird hook at the end of the nose. Just like Smilosuchus, just like Dinosuchus, just like Spinosaurus and Baryonyx, they've got that hooked nose. It's a feature that is found in a number of animals, and it must have been very effective to help them catch their prey because otherwise they wouldn't have it. So Dimetrodon has got that hooked nose, which is so cool looking. But Dimetrodon is not closely related to reptiles. It is more closely related to mammals. Dimetrodon is more, it looks like a lizard when you look at it. Its legs are kind of out to the side. It drags its tail on the ground. It looks like a lizard, but it's not. Just because animals look similar does not mean they are always from the same family group. Brachiosaurus and giraffes look similar, but they're not related to each other. They have similar features. That means they look similar but they're not the same. Dimetrodon is actually more closely related to mammals than it is to lizards. Now, it it has a relationship when you go farther back in time, but these animals kind of branched off to become a different group of animals. They are called sphenacodontidae. Uh, <laughs> I can't even talk today. Sphenacodonto. <laughs> I don't have the name in front of me, so I'm trying to do this from memory. <laughs> Sphenocodontidae. <laughs> let's just say, let's just say they're from a different group. 
I should have wrote that word down. It would have, I would have been better to do that. Sphenacodonts, I guess, is the kind of the animals that they kind of branch from. They're from a different group of animals. They're not dinosaurs. They're not reptiles. They are their own kind of animals. I just can't believe I didn't. I can't remember that name. I can't remember how it's spelled, and that's why I was having a hard time. I'm trying to envision it in my head, and I'm trying to say it, but it's not coming out the right way. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, something else. I want to tell you about its tail, by the way. It's got 50 tail vertebra. A vertebra is the bone that makes up like your backbone. If you take your finger and run it down the middle of your back, you feel those little bumpy things. Those are your vertebra. Well, animals that have tails have vertebras in their tails. So this, this animal has 50 of them just in its tail. But when scientists first found them, they didn't find the whole tail. They thought this thing had a short, stubby little tail. So you might have a Dimetrodon toy with a short tail. That just means that that toy was modeled after the original thought of what they look like. But if you can find a Dimetrodon with a longer tail, that one is going to be more accurate. Well, of course, Dimetrodon is a cool looking animal, but it's the sail that makes it the coolest. It is that weird sail on its back that makes it look so cool. And that's why so many people think it is a dinosaur. They think it's a dinosaur because it has a sail. And as soon as they see sail, they immediately start to think of dinosaurs because they think of Spinosaurus. But sails were around long before dinosaurs. Sails were around a long time before dinosaurs. Dimetrodon is just one of a lot of animals from the Permian that had sails. The sail is formed by something called a neural spine. A neural spine. Remember I said that the bones in the tail are vertebra and the bones in your back are vertebra? Well, Dimetrodon has vertebra that go from the back of its head all the way to the tip of its tail. But along its back section, sort of from behind the back of the neck to right close to the back legs... These things called neural spines, these are pieces of bone that stick straight up off the body and go way up into the air. And it is the neural spines that gave it that sail. Based on looking at the spines, it appears that there was some kind of flesh material between the spines that made the sail. They just weren't sticks sticking up. They seemed to be a sail. And the sail is, of course, the most confusing thing. What was it using it for? It's, it's very confusing. Some paleontologists believe that sail was used like an air conditioner to help it lose extra body heat. See, Dimetrodon is not a slow-moving reptile. This thing is a fast-moving animal. I think this thing is pretty quick. Probably could chase down a human in a short race. It could probably catch you and I in a short race. It's not made for running a long distance, but it could certainly catch something in a short race. So building up body heat is probably what this animal did a lot. It probably created a lot of body heat. It probably wanted to lose that extra body heat. And the sale would be the perfect way to do it. Other paleontologists do not believe the sale did anything except act as a way to attract a, a mate. 
That means if you're a boy, you're trying to get a girl's attention. You want the girl to see you. There's so many other males around. You want to stand out in the crowd. That's kind of why uh, we wear jewelry. Because jewelry attracts people to us. It says, hey, look at me. So wearing a big earrings makes people look to the face of the person. It attracts them. The same thing with coloring our hair. Um, some men grow beards. Uh, everybody does something that kind of helps other and uh, other humans see them. Well, animals would do the same thing. They do the same thing in the animal kingdom today. So the function of the sale might have been used as a way to attract a mate or even scare away a rival. If you're two males and one sale is bigger than the other, that's a pretty good indication that that animal is bigger than you. And maybe you need to get out of there before you get hurt. So maybe, and maybe it did both. Maybe it cooled them down. They didn't have to worry about warming up so much because the Permian era was relatively hot. It was a pretty hot, the world was pretty warm back then. I don't think they would ever need to warm up. They're not cold-blooded reptiles, I don't think. And so they didn't need to warm up like the way a reptile does. But that sale is certainly big, and it certainly is pretty amazing. That sale, just the sale itself, is as tall as a human on the big species. And here's the thing that's going to be kind of sort of confusing. There are 14 different animals named Dimetrodon. Uh, you want to say that again? Yes. There are currently 14 different species of Dimetrodon. All animals have a first and last name. In science, all animals get a first and last name. A first and last name. Just like you and I, we get a first and last name. That helps us tell each other apart. If my name is Joe, there's hundreds of millions of people named Joe. I have to have a last name, so at least I'm different from most of them. Now, if I was a scientific specimen then I would get my own name. My name would be Joe, uh, Joe Grandis. Let's say that's my name. No other person is allowed to have that name, but that's not the way we use our names. We have a scientific name. Our scientific name for all humans is Homo sapien. That's our first and last name. All humans are Homo sapien. That's our scientific name. After that, we can name us whatever we want. Your parents get to name you whatever they want. So in Dimetrodon, that means that they have found 14 different skeletons of animals that are clearly Dimetrodon, but they're different from each other. So they get a different scientific last name. Their first name is Dimetrodon. That is their species name. And or that's their genus name. Dimetrodon is the genus name. The species name is their last name. So the genus is Dimetrodon. It's the same thing with dinosaurs. Stegosaurus is a genus name. Stegosaurus stenops is the genus and species name. It's the first and last name. Stegosaurus stenops. Stegosaurus undulatus. Stegosaurus armatus. Stegosaurus longispinus. These are all first and last names of animals that are named Stegosaurus. So with Dimetrodon, there's 14 different last names. Dimetrodon angelensis, Borealis, Bunorum, 
Dolovian, Dolovinus, 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 Grandis, Limbatus, uh, Millery, Occidentalis. All of these are the last names of an animal named Dimetrodon. So there's not just one animal named Dimetrodon. There is one genus named Dimetrodon, but there are 14 species of Dimetrodon. So if you look in a book and one book shows you a Dimetrodon that looks kind of one way, and then you look at another book and it looks different, it might be you're looking at two different species of Dimetrodon. You're looking at two different species. Its first name is Dimetrodon, but it has a last name. And finally, there is a little confusing uh, confusion about um, animals with sails. Because when you look at them, you think predator. But that's not true. Living with Dimetrodon was an animal called a Daphosaurus. It is an herbivore with a sail on its back. So if, And there was other animals with sails on their backs as well. There was a bunch of sail-backed animals living in the Permian. So when you see a picture of an animal with a sail on its back, don't immediately think you're looking at Dimetrodon. You could be looking at something that lived with Dimetrodon. And so... Uh, and by the way, I told you there's 14 different species. Let me tell you the size difference between them. The largest Dimetrodon species is Dimetrodon angelensis. Dimetrodon angelensis. This is the one that they think exceeded four meters or, or up, up longer than 13 feet. This is a big one. But there's a little one named Dimetrodon teutonis. It was only 60 centimeters long. That's 24 inches. That's only two feet. That's a cute little guy. What a cute little animal. He still probably would have bit your arm off, so I wouldn't raise him as a pet if I was you. But anyway, my little friends, that is your lesson. That is your information. That is your feature creature, Dimetrodon. I'm going to take a short break, and then when I come back, I'm going to do the Ask Dinosaur George questions. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. All right. Yeah, I hope you guys will join the Dinosaur George Patreon Club. We're having so much fun. We're doing a lot of cool lessons. And the next lesson I'm teaching is how to hunt for dinosaurs. I'm going to actually explain from start to finish how we go out and hunt dinosaur bones. So if you would like to learn about how a paleontologist digs up dinosaur bones, I hope you will join the Patreon Club. You can go to our website, dinosaurgeorge.com. And there's information there. And we have club members from all over the world. We have club members from Germany, from uh, Europe, from Russia, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, South America. We have them from all over the world. 
All right, so let's get into it. Speaking of club members, this is Lincoln, age nine, from Canada, who writes and says, Hey, Dinosaur George, I want to know why Kentrosaurus have spikes on their side. Kentrosaurus is related to Stegosaurus, and yes, it has spikes on its side. When you look at the spikes or the defensive things on an animal, Lincoln, you always pay attention to where they are pointing because that will help you understand where the attacker is coming from. So, for instance, if you're a Triceratops and you have two great big horns over your eyes, well, those obviously for to, to stop an attacker who's attacking from the front. But if you see an animal like Kentrosaurus that has big spikes on its shoulders sticking out, then the attack is coming from an animal that is relatively small and yet is probably going to attack from the sides. See, if the spikes are sticking up in the air, that means the animal is taller than you. If the spikes are sticking out to the side, that means your attacker is probably shorter than you or maybe just as tall as you. It wouldn't want spikes sticking up on its back if the attacker is short because the spikes wouldn't work. So the reason why, in my opinion, it has spikes on its side is because it's using them as a way to protect itself from attacker that's probably as tall as those spikes. Uh, Then another uh, uh, patron club member, Levi from Adrian, Michigan, did Carnotaurus hunt in packs and did they use their horns to hunt? Great questions, Levi. They probably, they certainly could hunt in packs. There are benefits to hunting in packs. It makes sense to hunt in packs because when you hunt by yourself, you miss a lot of the times. You don't catch the food as easily. If there's two of you, you have a much better chance of catching your dinner because you can tag team and chase. You can set up an ambush and chase the prey into the other one that the, the one that's hiding. The, the poor prey doesn't know he's there. So I believe it would make sense for them to hunt together. Did they use their horns to hunt? Yes, but probably not in the way that you might be thinking. And what I mean by that is they're not stabbing the prey prey with their horns because their horns are not sharp. Their horns are very thick, very heavy, and round on the end. They were round. But what I believe they could use those horns for is like a battering ram to lower your head and crush the enemy, to knock the enemy down. That's what I believe they were using that for. So they certainly could knock something off its feet because if you come running and you lower your head and you ram something, you're going to knock it to the ground. You're probably going to knock the wind out of it. You might even knock it out and then it can't fight back. So, yes, I believe they would have and could have used those horns. All right, Finn, age five, from Brunswick, Maine. How many dinosaurs have you dug up? What was the first dinosaur to ever be dug up? Well, the first dinosaur that was ever discovered that was that was uh, um, reported was Megalosaurus over in Europe. But that doesn't mean that's the first one ever found. That's the first one scientists ever identified. They may have been, Neanderthals may have been digging up dinosaur bones and not knowing what they were. So there's no way to know for sure what the first one was, but the first one that was recorded by science was Megalosaurus. Uh, That's a big meat eater from over in Europe. How many dinosaurs have I dug up? I found a lot of individual dinosaur bones, but complete skeletons are hard to find. I've been able to help excavate a couple of big dinosaurs, but 
those sometimes that takes sometimes you can spend two or three years in a row doing it. See, in most places in in North America, anyway, whenever we find um, uh, whenever we find um, uh, dinosaurs in North America, we find them like in Montana, Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, South Dakota. Those are the most common places. Well, when winter comes, you can't dig anymore because it gets way too cold out there. So when I say it takes three years to dig up a dinosaur, I don't mean for three years every day somebody's sitting out there digging. What I mean is you only have a couple of months each year to dig. So it might take you a total of nine months, but that could take you three years because you only get to dig three months a year. So um, I've dug on a number of skeletons, but I've never dug up dug, dug up a skeleton from start to finish because I've always run out of time before I get to be before I had to leave. But I found hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of bones, like teeth and vertebra and arms and legs and feet, and I found all kinds of stuff. But most of it's been relatively small, no complete dinosaurs. All right, Jacob, eleven years old from Michigan, says hi, dinosaur George. My name is Jacob, and I'm from Michigan. My question is. How many dinosaurs or how did the dinosaurs become so successful and how did they evolve? Great question, Jacob. How did they become so successful? It was their legs because they had legs that went straight up and down under their body. That changed everything. Reptiles legs are out to the side of their body. When a reptile runs or moves quickly, First of all, because of its legs, its body is waddling from side to side. It uses a tremendous amount of energy just moving that body. If you ever watch a lizard run, they run kind of weird side to side. So they run out of energy very quickly and they're not very fast. They're fast for a short distance, but they run out of energy. Dinosaurs' legs go straight up and down, and that means they can move quickly. They don't burn as much energy when they're moving quickly. They can cover more ground. That means they can spread. Remember how I said with Dimetrodon that a successful animal wants to expand its range to have more area? Well, when you're a dinosaur, you can travel in one day. A dinosaur could travel farther than a reptile can in maybe six months. So the reptiles are slowly spreading. Dinosaurs are spreading like crazy because they can move so efficiently. So the reason why they became so successful was because of their legs. It carried them to more places. It got to them, got them to the food faster. They could run from danger and they could chase down their prey. And that's what gave them such an advantage. They evolved from a group of animals called archosaurs that kind of sort of looked like reptiles, but were not. Some of the archosaurs went on to become the pteranodons or, or the, yeah, the pterosaurs. Uh, some became crocodiles the reptiles, and then some became dinosaurs. So dinosaurs are very successful, but it's all because of those legs. All right, Giselle, age eight from San Antonio, where I live. How many species have you found? Well, hi, Giselle. It's nice to have you with us. I have found, well, let me think. Now, again, remember, I've only found pieces and parts of most of these, but I found Edmontosaurus, Tyrannus, well, let's do plant eaters, Edmontosaurus, uh, Diplodocus, uh, uh, Camarasaurus, Camptosaurus. Um, who else? I think I found part of an Apatosaurus tailbone, uh, and Stegosaurus, 
Triceratops, Pachycephalosaurus, uh, Ankylosaurus. Oh my gosh. Uh, so many. Uh, Struthiomimus. Uh, oh my gosh. Um, uh, with uh, Edmontosaurus, the duckbill. Um, 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 what else? Uh, with predators, uh, I found T-Rex pieces. I found various raptors. Um, just tons of them. I found so many different kinds. I wish I could remember them all. I wish I could remember them all. But anyway, Giselle, that's an idea of some of them. Okay, Nathaniel, age 11, also from San Antonio, Texas. Hey, dinosaur. George, what is your favorite kind of prehistoric animal? Well, when it comes to dinosaurs, Nathaniel, I love, I love Allosaurus. That has always been my favorite. Although I will say this, more and more the last couple of years, I've been spending more time studying the ankylosaurs. I'm starting to love those things, man. I mean, I always liked them, but I really like ankylosaurs. Hey, I haven't done a podcast on an ankylosaur yet. Shame on me. I'm going to put that on my list. Uh, Nathaniel also said, I just started listening to your podcast and they are cool. Hey, thank you very much. I'm so glad to hear you like that. And Nathaniel says he also likes to sketch. Hey, that's good. That's good, Nathaniel. I'm glad to hear you are a good artist and you like to sketch. Paleo artists are very important. They help us understand. They bring the animals back to life. So maybe one day you'll grow up to be a paleo artist. Okay, finally, Ricardo, age nine, from Vlach, Austria, was Gigantoraptor an omnivore? Hi, Ricardo. I know you listen to the podcast a lot because you send in great questions, and I'm glad to have you with us. Uh, Gigantoraptor probably was an omnivore. I think it probably was an omnivore. When you look at its mouth, those beaks seem to be perfect for both plants and meat. And being an omnivore means you have a better chance of survival. So I like, I like the idea of them being omnivores. I think, I think that would be, I mean, that, that just makes them cooler. And I think it makes more sense, especially when you're big like that, because gigantoraptors aren't really made for attacking really big prey. And if they were only eating herb, if they're only eating meat, they would have to find a lot of smaller stuff to catch. But if they're eating a mixed diet, then they catch what they can, but they eat plants to make up the difference between uh, not having meat all the time. So in my opinion, yes, I think they were. All right. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to do the who would win segment, which I know you all love. And then we're going to end it with an interview with one of our Tyrannosaurus Rex members of Patreon. One of the benefits, if you join Patreon and you become a Tyrannosaurus Rex member, your name may be chosen and you will get to be interviewed. Other than that, for everybody around the world, if you would like for me to speak to your school or your group or just you personally, let's play a little bit of information about my virtual lessons and then let's come back and do who would win. Now you can bring Dinosaur George into your classroom, home, or facility anywhere in the world with our virtual lessons. We offer over 15 different topics, including dinosaurs, prehistoric mammals, rocks and minerals, and more. Any age, any location, and any time zone. Visit us at DinosaurGeorge.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Please look towards the center ring where we bring in animals to battle. Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? 
T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops? You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right. If you are a Tyrannosaurus Rex member and you submit it, we pick these randomly. So if you are a T-Rex member and you have submitted a who would win, you can continue to submit it. Uh, you can submit as many as you want. Uh, so these first ones, uh, this first one comes from Henry and Hunter, who are brothers. They say who would win Indominus Rex versus Pachycephalosaurus. Well, Indominus has got all the points, power, size, weight, strength, bite force, weapons. The only thing Pachycephalosaurus has is speed, and it's small, and it could probably dodge Indominus Rex. If these animals met and Pachycephalosaurus needed to fight, it's going to do one thing. It's going to try to ram Indominus in the legs, hopefully in the ankle. If it could hit Indominus's section between its lower legs and its foot, right in the spot that we would think of as the ankle, he could literally take Indominus out of the fight. With one shot, with one shot, it could take down Indominus Rex. If it rammed in that leg and broke one of its leg bones, Indominus is out of the fight. So Indominus, if it ever catches Pachycephalosaurus, that fight won't last but half a second. Indominus would bite Pachycephalosaurus in half. But if Pachycephalosaurus gets in one shot, one shot, then I think Pachy would win. But unfortunately, boys, I'm going to have to give it to Indominus Rex because I don't believe Pachy is going to be fast enough to get past all of those weapons and that body mass. So I think in this case, um, I, I do believe that the giant is going to win this fight. All right. Jasper says Mosasaurus versus Dinosuchus. This is a good fight. This is a good one. Mosasaurus, of course, are big sw swimming reptiles. And Dinosuchus is a giant crocodile swimming reptile. You have reptile versus reptile. Mosasaurs have a lot of advantages. They're probably faster. Well, they're definitely faster in the water. They can change directions quicker. Their body is more streamlined. Dinosuchus is more like a battleship. It's big. It's got super armor plating on its back. It's got a very powerful motor, its tail, to help it move through the water. It's certainly at home in the water. But if these two animals meet, the difference between them is Dinosuchus is armored. Mosasaurs are not. Mosasaurs are not armored. In fact, their skin shows very little armament. And that is a weakness when you're fighting something like Dinosuchus. And the only place the battle could take place would be in little deeper water. Because a Mosasaur cannot move around in shallow water. That's not what it's made for. 
So if Dinosuchus can lure the Mosasaur in closer to the shore, Dinosuchus is clearly going to have an advantage. Because if a Mosasaur gets high ground, it means that its tummy touches the ground while it's in the water, it can get stuck. But even if the fight was farther out, certainly the Mosasaur could swim circles around a Dinosuchus. It could move quicker, it could bite, it could attack. But it's still trying to bite through body armor that I don't think it could penetrate. So in my opinion, I'm going to give this battle to Dinosuchus. All right, Kai, who is four years old, Kai wants to know Nanotyrannus versus Deinonychus. Ooh, I like this battle too. Now, Nanotyrannus is the mystery dinosaur. Some scientists believe that Nanotyrannus is not a real dinosaur. They think the skeleton belonged to a young Tyrannosaurus rex. So most scientists, I think most, agree that Nanotyrannus is a baby T-Rex. But I believe, and so do a lot of other people, that Nanotyrannus is its own species. It's kind of sort of like a miniature T-Rex. Now, Nanotyrannus is still much bigger than Deinonychus. Nanotyrannus has jaw strength, but Deinonychus has the weapons, has the speed. I mean, this would be a pretty epic battle because Nanotyrannus isn't a titan. He's not giant compared to Deinonychus. And Deinonychus is a pretty big raptor, and it's got speed and agility. I'm actually going to go with Deinonychus. I think Deinonychus is going to win this fight. I think Deinonychus is going to win because it. I think it, if it could jump and land on the back of Nanotyrannus, there's nothing Nanotyrannus can do but roll over on his back to get him off. And that's going to be something that could be very dangerous for a Nanotyrannus to do. You can't roll around like a little kid playing in the dirt. If you're as big as a Nanotyrannus, you'll break some of your bones. So I am going to give this fight to Deinonychus. Good one, Kai. Okay, Levi from Adrian says, and Levi, by the way, you guys recognize his name because he sent a question in earlier. Levi says, Wooly Rhino versus Cryolophosaurus. I love mixing it up with different time periods. The Wooly Rhino is from the Pleistocene. Cryolophosaurus is from the late Jurassic. Wow, what a cool fight this would be. Woolly Rhino's got that gigantic, and by the way, the Woolly Rhino's name is Celodonta. So Celodonta versus Cryolophosaurus. Nice. Woolly Rhino has the big horn on his nose. That is an ultimate weapon. And that thing appeared to be sharp and powerful. Woolly Rhino's center of gravity is low to the ground. What that means is you can't knock him over. And it's probably fast, and it has that big mammal brain. Crylophosaurus is big, but it's never been made to take on something, in my opinion, like a woolly rhino. Crylophosaurus appears to be better suited for taking on small to medium-sized uh, herbivores, but nothing as short and fast as a woolly rhino. Although Crylophosaurus could get in a couple of dangerous uh, wounds, I believe the woolly rhino is going to win because he could run circles around Crylophosaurus. And... One strike from that horn would go right into the stomach of Crylophosaurus, and that would be the end of that fight because that's going to cut right through the vital organs. Good one, Levi. All right, Hunter. Hunters who would win is Dinosuchus versus Sarcosuchus versus Smilosuchus. Woo! Three crocodile fights. This is a good one. This is a good one. All right, Dinosuchus and Sarcosuchus are pretty well evenly matched. 
I believe Dinosuchus's bite would be stronger than Sarcosuchus because Sarcosuchus has the elongated crocodilian looking snout. And when, you're lo- when your nose is super long, it takes a lot more power to clamp it closed. Dinosuchus has the shorter, rounder snout. That is means that when it bites down, its jaw muscles aren't doing as much work as a long snout. So it's going to give a stronger bite force, in my opinion. I believe Dinosuchus would beat Sarcosuchus. I believe it would. I mean, this would be an epic battle. These guys would be doing death rolls. They'd be grabbing each other by the leg and trying to spin to rip the leg off. They're going to grab each other by the tail. If you can take the guy's half of his tail off, he can't move around anymore. And then he becomes a sitting duck. I just believe Sarcosuchus possesses that kind of power. Now, as for Smilosuchus, Smilosuchus has a secret weapon. It's long legs. It can simply get out of the water and take off running. And that's what, uh, that's what Smilosuchus would do. Smilosuchus is probably not going to hang around for that particular fight because Smilosuchus now, Smilosuchus is armored and he's big. Maybe I need to rethink this a minute here. Man, I don't know about this now. Maybe now Smilosuchus is going to have the same problem Sarcosuchus has, and that is that elongated snout, but it's not as long. I'm still going to give the fight to Dinosuchus. I still believe that it's sheer bulk is the thing that's going to win the battle, even though Sarcosuchus and Smilosuchus are very effective, uh, very effective uh, uh, combatants. I just don't think, I just don't think they're going to stand up to, to uh, Dinosuchus. I just don't think so. And the last one comes from Lauren. Lauren says, Acrocanthosaurus versus Tyrannotitan. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Oh, uh, man. Acrocanthosaurus takes it. Lauren, I believe Acrocanthosaurus takes it all. Because Acrocanthosaurus has the power, the size, the weaponry. I think he just has it all over Tyrannotitan. I like Tyrannotitan, but I don't. And the name is cool. I love the name Tyrannotitan. But when it comes to this particular battle, the true Titan is going to be Acrocanthosaurus. Oh, and I have one more. I'm sorry, Caleb. I almost missed Caleb's. Caleb sent in Carnotaurus versus Baryonyx versus Blue the Velociraptor from Jurassic Park. All right. Baryonyx has the size. Baryonyx certainly has the weapons. Carnotaurus has that ramming skull and some pretty nasty teeth, but Baryonyx is going to take down Carnotaurus I think pretty easily. I think pretty easily. I mean, sure, Carnotaurus could land a a blow with that. If you hit him in the side, if you hit Baryonyx in the side, coming with a full-on charge, you could knock Baryonyx. You could break Baryonyx's ribs. If you cracked its ribs inward, those ribs could actually puncture its own lungs. Its ribs could become a fatal weapon. But I don't know if Carnotaurus has the ability to get in like that without Baryonyx catching him before he arrives. I think Baryonyx. Now, with Velociraptor Blue, now, if we're talking about the one from the movie and not real Velociraptor, then Blue is a big raptor. And Blue has incredible intellect. Blue has speed, agility, and weapons. I think Blue could win against a Baryonyx. I think the same way I thought Deinonychus could take on Nanotyrannus, I think Blue could land on the side of Baryonyx and run right up on the back and onto the back of his neck. And when he's up there attacking, 
there is Baryonyx wouldn't have a way to reach him. He can't make his tail reach over to his back. He can't reach back with his arms. He can't reach around with his head. There's nothing they can do. As long as the raptor is big enough to take him on, then I would say that's going to be the animal that's going to win. And that's going to be, in your particular case, I believe Velociraptor Blue is the winner. And I mentioned Lauren um, uh, sent in his Acro versus Tyrannotitan. Speaking of Lauren, he was the one chosen for today's interview. How would you like to be interviewed on a future podcast episode? Well, now you can. Become a Tyrannosaurus member of our Patreon club, and you might be chosen for an interview with Dinosaur George. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com to join the club. And now, let's meet a Tyrannosaurus Club member. All right. We are traveling halfway around the world to interview my friend Lauren. Lauren, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, thanks. So tell me, Lauren, where do you live? Wellington. Wellington. Let's see, Wellington. Is that in China? <laughs> is, no, it's not. Is it in France? No, it's a separate country from all of those. So what it's country is like, So it's part of New Zealand. It's like it's like it's the really small kind of place and it's a not it's a lovely place to be. Yeah, New Zealand is absolutely beautiful and I hear Wellington is amazing. So what time is it? So let me tell you, here in San Antonio, it's Monday night at nine o'clock in the evening. What day and time is it with you? Do you have a watch in front of you or a clock in front of you? Uh, there's a clock over there and it's Tuesday for us. And the time is uh, 4.01. Wow. So it's four o'clock Tuesday for you and it's nine o'clock in the evening Monday for me. So you are, you're a time traveler. Yep. You're a time traveler. <laughs> oh, so are you going to be able, you'll be able to tell me what happens before anybody else. Ooh. <laughs> so you live in New Zealand, which is beautiful. And I've seen so many, of course, I've never been there, but I'd love to go. And I hear it is truly a beautiful place. So let's talk about you. Now, uh, are you the only child in your family or do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister and I'm the oldest. Oh, you're She's the oldest. My sister is like turning five, like in basically two days. Oh, well, please tell her I said happy birthday to her. Yep. That's very good. And how old are you, Lauren? Nine, turning 10. Wow. When is your birthday? What month is your birthday? August. August. So it's it's quite a while. Not as long as mine. Mine is in December. I have to wait a long time. So yeah. you've got a sister. So how long have you liked dinosaurs? How old were you? Can you think back on, on when it was you decided I like dinosaurs? Well, actually, with me, it's a mixture of times. I, I was interested in them, into them when I was three, and then I moved on to other topics. Then I was interested into them, like Jurassic World movies. Then I just got interested into them now because of this video game I got. Nice. What is your video game? It's called Jurassic World Live. It's basically this argument in reality game where there's the, like dinosaurs living around your place and you can go on the map. So if like probably in your in the app there'll probably be a velociraptor near your house. Oh wow. Wow, that sounds cool. You know what? And and that's that happens a lot. Young people 
go through different phases where they like something and then they find a new interest. Like I liked space. I still think space is fascinating. So everybody goes through that, but I'm glad that you've come back to liking dinosaurs because that of course is how I met you and how you became a Patreon member. And so, you know, here we have a friendship from the other side of the world. We never would have had if it wasn't that you came back to liking dinosaurs. So do you have a favorite kind of dinosaur or prehistoric animal? Is there something you think is interesting? Well, mainly I like Indoraptor. Yeah. Indoraptor is cool. Let me tell you something that I heard in the last movie, in the movie where Indoraptor appeared, one of the guys said that that Indoraptor was the prototype. It wasn't the complete animal. So I think we're going to see a bigger version of Indoraptor in the next Jurassic Park movie. Uh, I think we're going to see a bigger, even more dangerous Indoraptor than what we saw. Well... I, I think I saw in the trailer, it's Jurassic World Domination. Is that what it's called? I actually think they stopped making hybrids. I think since Endoraptor fell down from the glass and was stabbed by a Triceratops skeleton. Funny moment <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, wasn't funny uh, for him. <laughs> yep. I agree. So it there. Was like falling down. Endoraptor. Oof. Yeah, you got that right. So you heard that they're not going to use any hybrids anymore in the movie. Uh, that's interesting. And also, they meet the people from Jurassic Park. Like Owen, like the people from Jurassic Park world, they meet the people from Jurassic Park. Oh, wow. That's exciting. I'm glad it's kind of coming all back to that again. Uh, have you seen all of the Jurassic Park movies? Yes. Which one was your favorite? Since you like Indoraptor, I'm guessing oh. it's the last one, or do you have a more favorite movie? Uh, this is a tough one. If I had to include all of them, oh, this is such a tough one maybe maybe the first one or maybe i think maybe jurassic world probably jurassic world yeah for me it was the first one and that's probably because up until then i had never never seen dinosaurs that look so real in my life so you have to remember that was the first one and before that we didn't have a lot of real looking dinosaurs so the first one to me was amazing and then some of them I really like. Some of them I didn't find as interesting, but that's common with, with all movies. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I did like the one with Indominus. I like oh, the story with that one. Yeah, Indominus was like the base. It, even though Indoraptor is basically um, tougher, I, I sent in the hood win and literally, basically, even though like, you crowned Indoraptor the winner and I completely, I mean, Indominus the winner, huh. I agree. Yeah. I let go. Yeah. And I like that who would win. And that was a good who would win, as a matter of fact, because I like mm-hmm. doing that one. In fact, I think that's the reason. I think your question was the reason why I did a podcast on Indominus and Indoraptor, because I liked the whole matchup. And there's some young kids that don't realize that those are not real dinosaurs. They, they didn't realize they were just for the movie. But it doesn't matter to me because I liked them no matter what. I thought they were cool. Yeah, like how you mentioned on the podcast about them, that it's okay to like them. Of course it is. Yeah, absolutely it is. It's a fictional movie. You know, that's that would be like if you don't like Star Wars because we don't have people flying around in space in, in fighters. Well, it's a movie. It's for fun. Yeah. I love it. 
That's cool. So what about other prehistoric animals? Now you like you like dinosaurs, but do you have any interest in some of the other like the mammals, like the saber-toothed cats or any of those kind of things? Well, unlike some of the listeners, I actually love Dimetrodon. I love it. Ah, I'm glad you said that because he is the next one on my as a matter of fact, let me tell you what. Dimetrodon is the is the one I'm going to record that this interview is going on. So, yeah. So when I put this podcast together, which will be done in a couple of days, Dimetrodon is the subject. So, hey, how cool is that? I call Dimetrodon the master of the Permian because it kind of is. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Dimetrodon, I think, is bigger than a lot of people understand because you, you see pictures of them all the time, but they don't put things in the picture that helps you understand the size. These are big animals and they're bad too. Yeah. Including the sails. They are big and the bite force. It's just so good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. And you know, um, there's a paleontologist named Robert Bacher and he was the first one I ever heard talk about. He thought they were semi-aquatic that they lived in the water and he believed that. Well, now as we're seeing more and more evidence, there's more evidence to support the idea that they may have lived a life like a crocodile. They have, may have been swimming around out there. I mean, who knows what they were doing, but I well, love Dimetrodon. Yeah, didn't they live in the desert? Well, it, okay. They're, that, right? they're, they're found in places that were very dry, but they're also found around what we call fluvial evidence, which means when you look at the rocks, there was water running. There was water around them. So, yeah, because generally in deserts, there's not much water. R- correct. It wasn't really a desert so much as it was more arid. So, for instance, um, it, it may have been more like uh, the African plains, where during mm-hmm. the summertime, it may have been very dry and water may have been scarce. But then during the rainy season, there may have been rivers and lakes and stuff flowing. So I think they lived in a variety of different environments. What I find fascinating is living next to them with them is a Daphosaurus, which is a plant eater that looks a lot like Dimetrodon. Oh, yeah. I know. I know that thing. I saw it on the game. It looks like it looks so much like a carnivore, but it's actually an herbivore. Like it's basically Dimetrodon herbivore edition. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. So I find that fascinating because you have a carnivore and an herbivore that share a similar feature, which is that sail, and that's hard to explain. It's hard to explain why. You know, yeah, it, it, I, I believe that the um, plant eater Dimetrodon, whatever it's called. It had a bigger sail. I think Dimetrodon's was slightly thinner. Correct. So maybe it was utilized to help warm up or lose heat. One of those two. And maybe that's why they both needed it. Um, I don't know. There was a bunch of Permian animals, though, that had sails. The Permian, when, when Dimetrodon is alive, that time period is much warmer. And there was a lot more animals with sails. So I'm, I tend to believe that they probably... We're using that sale as sort of an air conditioning system. I don't know. I have this book and it shows a picture of a Dimetrodon like in the middle of the sun and it's like sails warming it. And then there's like this Dimetrodon, I think it's called Opegodon. And it has like, it's basically a Dimetrodon with no sail. And Opegodon was lying on the ground and Dimetrodon was sinking its teeth into the body. Right. It's called Ophiacodon. And I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. He looks like Dimetrodon, but no sail. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 
There was a bunch of those guys. They were called Tina Spondylids. And there was a bunch of them that are very weird looking that, that some of them have like, you know how Dimetrodon has like the little, they look like little sticks coming up from its back where the sail connected. Yeah, I know. Some of them had these big, wide, square looking things that looked like, like wooden slats. They were weird. (laughs) The the Permian is just weird. I know. I love it. But I do too. So I wanted to hear a little more about this game because you, you referenced the game. So tell me, what do you do in the game? What is the what does the game do? Mainly, you um just try to improve yourself and fight with each other. I have a legendary in the game. It's, I have Indominus Rex, and I have like it's like you can have eight animals on your team. My animals are Brachiosaurus, Tyrannosaurus Rex, of course, <laughs> um, Indominus. Um, hmm, what else? You've got Brachio for size. You've got a brute. What about, do you have any sort of ankylosaurs at all? Any of the armored no, guys? No, What about the Ceratopsians? Did you bring in any of them? Oh, I used to have Cynoceratops. Nice. Like, yes, imagine Styracosaurus versus Cynoceratops. That would be such a good match. Ooh, I like that one a lot. You need to send that to me through Patreon so I remember it. Because I like that. That's a good That's a good matchup. We haven't done any Ceratopsian matchups. I'm really surprised. I don't think anybody has ever submitted a Ceratopsian match. I was the first one to submit an Indominus um, yeah. match. Yeah, you were. Um, yeah, absolutely you were. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I just got one. Uh, I just released a new podcast today on um, uh, on Smilosuchus, which is a crocodilian looking thing, but it's not. It is wicked cool. You You're, you're going to love it. I posted a picture of it on your Patreon page so you can go on there and look and you can see that thing. It is crazy cool. But somebody submitted one. I think it was, I think it was Dromaeosaurus versus Stegosaurus. And I like that matchup. That was a good one. That was an interesting matchup. That was a good one. So anyway, so that game sounds pretty cool. Uh, so what are there different levels that you reach so you can add more fighters or how does it work? Yeah, so the maximum level of dinosaur is level 30. And, um, like, there's different things, like, different types. There's commons, like velociraptors, rares, like, um, marsupian lion. Right. There's epics, like, rocky source. There's legendaries, like, Indominus, and there's uniques, like, Indoraptor. And there's also apexes. Like, this apex one is called Mortemrix. It's basically a giant T-Rex with blue Godzilla spikes. It used to be called Godzilla. You should search it up. That's so cool. Do you like Godzilla movies? Godzilla, yes. I, in fact, if you can just see over there, oh, I like do. Here, I yeah, see I on your a, wall. You have posters yeah. of Godzilla. Yeah, there's a Godzilla poster up there. Nice. When I was young, I loved Godzilla. Oh, he's the little monsters. Oh, I loved them. My favorite character of all was Gigan. I loved Gigan. He's the space creature with big hooks on its hands and kind of a sail on its back. Uh, he was my favorite. He's He was from the older ones. When I was young, we used to watch them on TV. Oh, yeah. Like the ones before that, like one on my wall. There was like yes. a bunch of them. Just yeah. like King Kong. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I love King Kong, too. And I like that movie a lot. 
So what do you think about the King Kong versus Godzilla movie coming up? Are you excited? Oh, yeah. I am so excited. If my parents let me watch it, I'm probably going to go to the cinemas, maybe with my friend Cameron. If I tell him that I'm that his name is mentioned on this podcast, he's going to be pretty happy. Cool. And um, we're both, we're both going to go to the movies. Oh. And we're gonna- well, you tell Cameron, I hope you two get to go. And when you two go in that movie theater... When you come out, I want you to send me a message and tell me if you thought the movie was good. I'm yeah. going to go see it with my nephew, Josh. He and I are going to go to the to see it at the at the theater, at the cinema. And uh, what's the best part about going to the cinema? A cin- cinema. The snacks, uh, the drinks, or the sound effects? Probably, uh, probably the movies. That's what they're really meant for. Yeah. Like, I'm near the cinema called the Empire Theatre, and it's it's called Theatre in over here in Wellington, right. and it's it's like it's like it's got a cafe, and you can go down and there's like these posters and there's like Theatre Cinema One and Cinema Two and a lot. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, you make sure and tell your buddy that he's now a superstar, a worldwide superstar, because you mentioned him. So now yep. he owes you big. He owes you big. Because you mm-hmm. mentioned him. Um, are there any uh, museums near you that you get to go to? Have you gotten to go to any museums to see any dinosaur bones? Okay. I don't know if you noticed, but I posted like these Patreon things. Like I got to go to this museum in Dunedin and I actually had a whole tub toe. What's it called again? Torbosaur, like a Tabasaurus skeleton. Oh, I saw nice. a whole I got to see an ankylosaurus head, one of my, my one of my favorite herbivores. Yeah, in fact, it's my favorite. Yeah, I got to see um, uh, like there's like these kind of like moral dinosaurs they could move and kind of do sounds. There was a kentrosaurus and there was a therizinosaurus, nice. and therizinosaurus claws were so good. I mean, therizinosaurus was the podcast that you recently interviewed a person because of the weather. I'm sorry that weather happened. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's cool, though, that you got to see those. And I like ankylosaurs, too. I think they're cool. They're super cool. They are built like a tank. They are. That's that's so cool. Now, do you collect any of the dinosaur toys, any of the figures? Do you collect any of that stuff? Hmm. Well, let me show you something. Can you listen? Did you hear that? What was that? That sounded cool. Is that a raptor? Oh, Oh, it is a oh, you've got Look it. Look at its eyes. It glows red. Oh, nice. So you've got it. Is that Indoraptor? Yes, it is. Oh, that Look is so cool. This is what happened in the Kingdom. This is like a Triceratops skull. Impaled him. Yep. Yeah. Impaled him yeah. on that Triceratops. That was, that was pretty cool, though. I like that scene. You know what I like the most about that movie? Uh, Lauren, yep, for yes, you know me so well. They had us for a second, there was an Allosaurus, and I went crazy. I loved it. I wish there would have been more of him. I liked him a lot. It was way smaller than the normal thing, it was like so small, like the size maybe of a Utah. Yeah, exactly. It was definitely a juvenile. It was definitely a juvenile. Juvenile, that's probably what it was. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. So, here's my last question for you. If you could go digging dinosaurs, if you got to go anywhere in the world, what dinosaur would you hope to find? What did what would you love to find? A new species. Ooh. 
So would you? I'll be, I'll be famous. Oh, you would. Well, you're famous already because you're on this podcast. Do you know there's people in 650 different cities that will listen to you? Oh my god! And all over the world, there are there are I think there's 52 countries where we have listeners. So shout out to them. Have a I hope you like the podcast. Nice. Well, that's and what a kind thing to say. So if you got to find a new species, would you want it to be an herbivore, carnivore, or omnivore? Or does it matter? Oh, I love ah, carnivore. Of course. I love carnivores. I do not. I haven't seen in really much any um, who would win that involve herbivores. I am a theropod person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I love the theropods. I love the, the I love Styracosaurus. I think he looks cool. I love the ankylosaurs. I like Gastonia a lot. Uh, he's mm-hmm. he's kind of a cool little ankylosaur. He's a, I think he's a notosaur. But anyway, I, I think they're cool. But I'm with you. I'm 100% theropod. I love the carnivores. That's yeah. that's too cool. I know a lot. But I know. Can I, I'll say all of them. So, like, I know Acrocanthosaurus. Love him. Tyrannosaurus. Love him. Rick. Well, Baryonyx is part carnivore, as yeah. I heard. Yep, yep. Um, I know concavenator. Nice. Thing called Radurosaurus. Yes. Got, got a, yeah, I know. Um, hmm, I know, and I know quite a lot. I know Irritator, Spinosaurus. Nice. nice. Part, really. Nice. You know, when I was when I was as young as you, the way I memorized dinosaur names is alphabetically. So I used to, yeah, I used to play this game where my mom would say she'd open up my dinosaur book and say, "Name a theropod whose name starts with the letter G," and I'd be like Gorgosaurus, uh, Gassosaurus, and that's actually the name. Gigantosaurus. Giganotosaurus. There you go. Gallimimus. He's maybe an omnivore, but Gallimimus. Uh, who else? Um, so anyway, that's how I remembered. And so I would think the letters in the alphabet in my head. And that's a good yeah, opinion. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a quick test. Name a theropod who starts with the letter C. Achyrontosaurus. Nicely done. I'm going to give you a super hard one. You'll never do this one. This, this one, you can't get. It's impossible. Try. Name a theropod whose name starts with the letter A. Acrocanthosaurus. Ah, oh, you little cheater. I thought you would have forgotten by now. Ah, oh, you cheated on me. <laughs> Oh, you cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Can't believe you got that. Because, see, I thought you would have already forgotten because you already said acro. I can't believe you did that. Well, Lauren, what would you like to say to all of the people all over the world that are going to hear your interview? Well, first of all, I have a question for you. Yes, what is your question? How did they know that periods existed? Like, how did they know Dimetrodon lived in... Like, how did they know figure out that the Permian was a different time for, like, the Mesozoic. Like, how did they know that Andrew Sarkis, for example, didn't really live with Dimetrodon? Okay, great question. All right. Every layer of dirt on the Earth, there are different layers. And geologists have a way to determine how old each layer is. And sometimes you can see the difference because sometimes they're different color. Sometimes they are made up of different material. So like sand can be one layer and under it can be mudstone and under it can be limestone. Well, different conditions make different rocks. They affect the rocks differently. So first of all, the geologists come in and they tell us how old each layer is. Then they take a group of those layers 
and they make it one era. Like, for instance, the Mesozoic era. They say, okay, we're going to take this group and this is going to be the Mesozoic era. Everything in between is Mesozoic. Before the Mesozoic, we're going to have the Paleozoic era. And they, they name the big, they take a big group of those layers and they name it like the Paleozoic era. Then within that group, there's different layers and they call those like the Permian, the Devonian, the, the Oligocene. They name those as well. Once those have been named, then any animal that you find in those layers, you know that's when they lived. So when they named the Permian, they know that it happened before the Mesozoic because the Permian was the only thing that existed then. But over <laughs> millions of years, more dirt covered it, more layers formed, and it buried it. So if we're digging in that layer, any animal we find, we know that's when it lived. Oh, yeah. So, like, so like the ground that uh, my foot is on at the moment. So, like, at the mo- like at that time, it would have just been, like, high wind, like high wind in the air since it was been, like, the land would have been, like, deeper than it is today. Right. So, let's say you have a pet dinosaur and it dies and you bury it in your backyard. Millions of years from now, your yard is going to be buried under new layers of dirt, sand that has blown from other places. Maybe there was a mudslide, maybe a volcano erupted and covered you with ash. So future scientists are going to come along and they're going to say, okay, we found a new layer and we're going to name this layer, the Lauren layer. And that's the name we're going to give it. And then they're going to dig in the Lauren layer and they're going to find by the way, my name is not Lauren. It's Lauren, and you don't need to feel um, you don't need to forgive yourself for mistaking it because it's Lauren. Oh, it's Lauren. Yes, Lauren. Yeah. Well, there was a guy named Lauren Green who was a great actor that everybody knew and had shared your name as well. So yeah, if I pronounce it different, I I pronounce it Lauren, but Lauren, um, and which which your name, like I said, was belonged to a famous actor. So that makes you famous, by the way. So they're going to dig in your layer and they're going to find your skeleton of the animal you buried. And they're going to say, whatever this animal is, it lived during this time. And so that's how they know that Smilodon, the saber-toothed cat, did not live with dinosaurs because it's found in totally different layers. And by, by knowing the age, they know that they were separated by millions of years. So that's how. Scientists are able to tell you which animals lived in which time period. And the time period was made by simply looking at the evidence and grouping a bunch of layers into one group. Does that make sense? Yep. It makes a lot of sense. Nice. Nice. I also have a hood one. Aclocanthosaurus versus um, Cacuodontosaurus. Oh, man. And I also have uh, Aclocanthosaurus. Allosaurus versus Tyrannotitan. Oh, you've got to send those to me through your Patreon page. I'm not going to remember them. Those are good yeah. ones. Yeah, I, I may not remember them myself, but I probably will. I hope you do, because those are excellent. I like those a lot. I love those that, in, that involve more unusual or more rare dinosaurs. I like that a lot. That's cool. And Tyrannotitan. I have, yeah. like, people hardly ever mention Tyrannotitan, exactly. and it's exactly like it. Exactly right. And I like that dinosaur a lot. And I, I'm with you. There's a lot of dinosaurs that don't get a lot of publicity 
And so yeah, like um, Dakota Raptor. Yes. I have a friend called Dakota. If I tell him about this dinosaur, which I keep on forgetting to, that will probably become his favorite dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Tell him we named a dinosaur after him. We named yep. it Dakota Raptor. All right. So, what would you like to say to all the people all over the world that are going to be listening to you? Well, first of all, I hope you have a great, safe day. And also, this is for Patreon, like T-Rex Patreon members. You guys are sending them like the best who would wins ever. They are so good. Keep up the good work. What a great, what a great way to end this interview. I, I've had so much fun talking to you and all the way from New Zealand, all the way from New Zealand, a time traveler who's a day ahead of me, which is still amazing. My buddy, Lauren. Thank you so much, so much for, for taking time to do this. Please say hi to your parents and your, your sister and tell your sister happy birthday. And uh, uh, until, I, I, I guess we have another meeting coming up, but we'll have to look and see. Can I just say? Yeah. Is the Dinosaurs of Antarctica um, lesson based on a movie? If it is, I've watched that movie. Yeah. I saw it at the Dunedin Museum, and I can guarantee you that is the reason the meeting's happening. Nice. Nice, and you're absolutely correct. Nicely done. All right, buddy. Have a good day, and thank you so much for, for, for the interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye, George. Thank you. All right, Lauren, thank you so much. All the way from New Zealand, he was kind enough to let me interview him. So that's today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you had a good time, and I hope you learned some things about Dimetrodon. And if you really want to do a cool project, you go out there and find out about all 14 different species. Just got news today, ladies and gentlemen, our podcast is now listened to in 65 countries across the world. 65 different countries now listen to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast. And that's because of all of you. You're letting people know about it. You're sharing the information with people, and that helps us a bunch. I hope you will consider having me do a private lesson for you and your friends, or recommend me to your school teachers and ask them to bring me in. I'd love to be able to do a virtual lesson for you. And I hope you will consider joining our Patreon club. Uh, Patreon starts at a dollar a month. Then the next club level is $5 a month, and the last one is $10 a month. And you can pay a whole year and get a discount. And I hope you'll consider joining. And remember, you can cancel anytime you want. So if you join, but it's not what you like, you can cancel anytime. All right, everybody, that's it for this podcast. I will talk to you soon. I've got some great new ideas coming up for future podcasts. So stay tuned, my friends. to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge. Yeah.